chapter 4. <clears throat> and before we get into it, uh, Dad, why don't you ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching tonight? Amen. All right, now here we've been uh, dealing with verse 3, verse number 3, and uh, right here at in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 3, the Bible says, For this is the will of God. And I'll tell you what, you couldn't get a clear verse on the will of God, could you? You know, the big, the big thing in, in the world is, what am I going to do with my life? You ever stop and think what you're going to do with your life? Some of you older people are like, I wonder what I'm going to do with my life, right? But, but this is the will of God. Here it is. You want to know what it is? And he says here, uh, even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication. Throughout the text right here, what we landed on uh, last, I think it was Wednesday when we were in First Thessalonians uh, last time, was there six different things right in the passage that you could see is directly in context the will of God. First of all, right there we just read it, abstain from fornication. And uh, the second one is found in verse 4. What am I going to do? What's the will of God for my life? Possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, we're not going to preach them. I'm just going to list them. We're going to move on here. Uh, third thing in the passage, uh, you're going to possess your vessel uh, in, not in the lust of concupiscence. That's just doing whatever the world, your flesh wants to do. All right, that's verse 5. Number 4, what's the will of God for my life in the passage? That no man go beyond and def uh, defraud his brother in any matter. That's verse 6. Uh, what's the will of God for my life? Well, in verse 7, be holy. You see that? Why? Verse 7 says, we are called unto holiness. That's the will, of God. the will of God is for you and I to live a holy life. And of course, uh, I can't forget number 6, and you find this in verses 11 and 12. What's the will of God for my life? It's to be a good testimony to lost people. Now that is directly in context, and that's, uh, that's about as good as preaching as Paul uh, does there, and that's good stuff here. So that's the will of God for your life in the passage. Now, there's plenty of others. We're going to get to those uh, in a little bit. But uh, while we're here dealing with the will of God, I don't know about you, and maybe it's just me, because, you know, the, God has to make the man before he makes the message. And uh, oftentimes, the message is the man. And that's why it's not always a good, uh, a good delivery, amen? But this book is getting a hold of me. I've taught it three times, and this is the fourth time through it. But man, this thing is, I can honestly say it has shaken me up. You ever feel like you're in a blender with the Bible? And just, and you think you got a hold of something, you think you know it, and all of a sudden that book just comes across again, and you're like, yeah, I don't know that book like I thought I knew it. But that's me. I'm just, I'm just being transparent with you, and this book's getting a hold of my heart and some things here. And I don't know about you, but uh, it's the time we'll go through the book this time, it's... Uh, Man, it means a lot more. It means a lot more. But uh, while we're dealing with the will of God, you know what you have to deal with? Something you always have to deal with when you're dealing with the will of God is that issue of contentment. Contentment. Uh, you can't talk about the will of God without breaching that piece about are you content with where God wants you? And uh, now contentment is not found in any uh, geographical location. Uh, contentment is not found in any monetary attainment. As one feller said, uh, anything that you want or desire satisfies you <laughs> for about two weeks. And then you readjust your sights and you're aimed at something else, right? That's why Amazon is always in business. Uh, there's so much junk on Amazon with that one touch by is the most dangerous thing you've ever seen in your life. And anything that you see, and wherever you're out of the will of God, now here, just for a second, we'll try to tie some things in here. There's always going to be some unmet need in your life. There's always going to be some place of discontentment when you're not in the will of God, per se. 
And uh, you can't talk about the will of God without dealing with contentment. And contentment is not a geographical location. It's not a monetary attainment or a monetary value. Uh, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Uh, rather, contentment is found being in the will of God and accepting the circumstances that you have. Now, I know it sounds simple, but that's really what it is. Are you, are you content, not where you're at spiritually? We're not talking about your spiritual relationship with the Lord, but are you content with where you're at? <laughs> you know, I think about the Bible. You know who was never content with who he was? King Uzziah. If you study anything about King Uzziah, we might preach about him down the road here, but if you study anything about uh, King Uzziah, God made him a king. That's a pretty big deal, right? That's a big deal. And he was a good king. And when he sought the Lord, the Lord strengthened him. And I understand it's the Old Testament theology, you're healthy, wealthy, and wise, based upon your pleasing the Lord. And I understand the just shall live by faith, and we walk by faith, not by sight. But the, you can't miss the, the thing is, everything that the Lord uh, prospered King Uzziah as a king, and he was, the Lord put men all around him, strengthened the kingdom, put garrisons, and invented all these cunning engines, the Bible says. But yet, even when he was strengthened, when the Lord strengthened him, then his heart was lifted up, and then he had to be somebody else that God never wanted him to be. And at the end, towards his reign there, he was so strong, and he was so helped, and the Lord had blessed him so much that he decided that he would step into the office of the priest and try to offer incense. Well, that ain't the job of a king. You see that? And when you're not uh, content with what God wants you to have, and when you're not content with where God wants you to be, then you're just like King Uzziah, and you've got to try to do something God never told you to do and be someone God never told you to be, and it just jams you up. And you know what happened there with King Uzziah? He ended up getting leprosy, and the Bible says the leprosy rose up within his forehead there because he was trying to do the job of a priest. And the priest there brought uh, four score priests. That's 80 priests in there to withstand that one king that just couldn't be content with what God wanted him to be. But I'll tell you what, contentment, you know what it is? It's, uh, it's found in the will of God, and it's accepting the circumstances that you have, uh, whatever set of circumstances you're in. Uh, let me give you some examples here. When it comes to contentment, you realize that the Lord never told Daniel that he'd get out of the lion's den? <laughs> I mean, we read it. We're like, oh, yeah, Daniel's in the lion's den. And, you know, he probably fell asleep on the lion. Maybe he did. I wouldn't. I'd be, you know, in the corner crying like a little schoolgirl somewhere. I would, you know, but maybe he was. The Lord never told Daniel he was going to get out. You ever realize that the Lord never told the Hebrew children that they were going to get out of the fire? Again, we have the whole canon of Scripture. We understand all that. Uh, how about this? You know, the Lord never told Abigail that she would ever marry anybody but the fool Nabal. The Bible says Nabal was a fool. He was stubborn. He was churlish, the Bible says. I mean, I know some of you would never admit it, but some of y'all probably married a fool. <laughs> Amen. Lord never told uh, Abigail, you know, one day, you know, Prince Charming, I'm sorry, King David would come along. Amen. And the Lord knocked off Nabal because he was so stinking greedy and selfish and self-serving and self-willing and knocked him off and gave her the king of Israel. Never stop thinking about that. He never told the disciples that the storm was going to stop. I'm, we're just talking about contentment for a minute. I mean, we know the verses on it. You know, be you content with such things as you have. For I've said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake. We can know the verses. We can quote them. But are you content this evening? You ever stop and think every time Paul was around anybody and anything, there was trouble? <laughs> I mean, everywhere Paul went, he was making a mess. Uh, we would look at Paul and go, I don't know about that guy. He's just too controversial. We would. I know our crowd, we would. We'd criticize him. Well, you know, if he'd just tone it down a little bit, he'd probably have more uh, conversions to publish. But everywhere Paul went, he had trouble. And uh, you ever stop and think about the Apostle Paul? He was never told that that thorn would be taken away from him. All he was told is, my grace is sufficient for thee. What if you uh, had some debilitating uh, illness or whatever it was and... and you just had no idea whether you'd ever shake the thing or not. Would you be content? You know, of course, we know what Romans 8.28 says. The Bible says there, and we know that all things work together for good. Aren't you thankful for that verse? 
I mean, it's easy to quote, and it sure is hard to live when it happens to you and walks right into your backyard and starts affecting your family. And then you start going through the stink and you start going through the trouble and the next thing you know your rights are confused with wrong and you're crossed and you're all that stuff and then some loving brother or sister goes, well, you know, all things work together for good to them that love God. To them. Shut up, would you? <laughs> are you really content with where God has you? You know, we, we preach on this, uh, not this verse, but the thought process in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his glory and riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And I know you understand this, but your needs, your need tonight is much more than monetary. You know, your need is, uh, you need to grow in grace. You have spiritual needs that in eternity's eyes are way beyond comparison to the car payment. I get you got to drive to work. <laughs> and, you know, that's why they have a grace period. You ain't got to always live in the grace period, amen. I know some of y'all have never done that before. But uh, your needs are much more than monetary. And as a Christian, one of the hardest things you'll ever do is learn to be content with where God has you. That's one of the hardest things. Uh, Most people say this, well, if I could just make a certain amount of money. And uh, I'm trying to preach and teach from just a few years looking back and seeing how I've tried to help the Lord along the way. I'm telling on myself. The Lord's had to, he's had to straighten me up on some of this stuff. Uh, When he called me to preach, uh, I thought it was then my job to help the Lord get into a position where I could preach. (laughs) It wasn't. My job was just to acknowledge the fact that he called me to preach and I needed to study and read and get as close as I could to him so he could continue to develop me. He didn't need my help uh, in moving the stars and the moons and the sun and to everything aligned financially, and then I'd be in a position. But that's what we do, isn't it? We try to help the Lord out. Abraham tried to help the Lord out with Hagar. What a mess that made. 13 years, the Lord never said anything to him. Created a race that is uh, still blowing itself up right now. Yeah. And people say, well, if I could just uh, have a certain ministry or if I could... Well, if I was a pastor, well, let me tell you what. (laughs) That's not going to solve your contentment issues. Or if I could just have a new boss. Or if we could just have a new pastor, we'd be better off spiritually. Well, I might argue with you on that one. Uh, Or some would say, well, if I could just have a different wife. Well, let me tell you what. If you can't figure out the one you got, you ain't going to figure out the next one. Amen? Amen. You're not going to do it. Someone say, well, you know, my kids, if they weren't all this way, then I'd be content. Or, you know, if the preacher, if he would just do it like this. Again, the problem's not money, is it? The problem is not geographical. It's not a house, not a job. It's not a church. It's not a preacher. Are you having the place or the ministry that you think you have to have? The problem surrounding contentment in the Christian life is your heart. It's a heart issue. And until you get that right, can I just say this? pastorally tonight, you'll never be happy with who you got. You'll never be happy with what you got. You'll never be happy with where you're at or how you got where you're at if you're not content. You know, one of the most dangerous things in the ministry, I guess, you could say it like this, is someone trying to manipulate or force, uh, force something that God may be or may not be in. That's one of the most dangerous things. And, and that individual uh, that's trying to force or manipulate the Lord will never really know whether God's in it because they're trying to arrange it. See what I mean? Well, I know the Lord's in it somewhere and I'm going to keep, you know, I believe you. You just got to take a step of faith and, you know, take a leap of faith. Uh, okay, and, and, well, you know, sometimes you just got to knock on the door and then this other brother comes up and says, well, sometimes you just got to kick the door open. You better be careful about trying to kick doors open. You might break your foot. <laughs> you might kick that door open and realize you had a worse thing, worse mistake you could have made is trying to force that door open for your own benefit. Always trying to accomplish it, always trying to manipulate it. I'm just I'm trying to encourage you, but also admonish you, be careful. And it's all about contentment. And the secret in the Christian life, you know what it is? It's truly to learn to be content in whatsoever state you're in. You say, well, I think I deserve more, uh, more attention than, than I'm getting. Well, maybe the Lord don't want you to have it. 
Well, I deserve, I believe I deserve more respect. I believe I deserve a different position. I believe I deserve a different title. Okay, well, I read in, in the Bible where the Lord hid 50, 100 prophets in a cave, 50, two different caves, 50 of them. What I'm saying is the Bible says if you humble yourself, he'll exalt you in due time. But your time might not be due. <laughs> Amen. You've got to be careful about trying to force that thing or trying to kick the door down. And I think about the ministry of Paul. Paul wasn't trying to get out of prison. You don't read of Paul's jailbreaks. Besides the one, the, the real, you know, jailhouse rock there in Acts chapter 16, right? <laughs> the Lord wants you out of prison, he'll get you out of prison, won't he? And if not, he's going to do the time. <laughs> Amen. Paul wasn't out of, trying to get out of prison. You know, Paul wasn't doing, he wasn't... Uh, he wasn't getting a hold of Lee Free and trying to sum up a good defense. You need to look at the life of Paul. I just figure he, he just figured he was in there for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He accepted it. He was content being locked up for the cause of Christ. He just got down to business. He ministered to people he could while he was in prison. He got out the old pen or the tablet or whatever in the fire method was, and he began writing to help the church because that's one of the only ways that God could get Paul still enough to write some of them letters. And he, he couldn't do that if he wasn't content where he's at. And uh, I think it's extremely important tonight to realize that happiness and the will of God is not a geographical location or a monetary status or position, but rather contentment is, it's all attitude. And the world's partially right about some of this stuff. The world says attitude is everything. Well, in the Christian life, attitude is everything. And I'm all for, listen now, I'm all for having a stinking, rotten attitude where it needs to have an attitude like that. And some of you would do you well to get mad at your own sin and get upset about it and take action against it and be negative. But you know what? Attitude is everything in the Christian life about contentment. Are you happy where God has you? Well, it's really uncomfortable. Well, he's making you. He's making you who you're going to be. Well, it's just, uh, I, I just, I don't like where I'm at. Is that where God wants you? Yeah, we'll, we'll accept it. Amen. Accept it. Contentment is the attitude that God's right. Contentment is the attitude of, I'm wrong. That's what contentment is. Contentment is this, I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do, and I will submit to it no matter how miserable my flesh feels. That's true contentment. Many times, some of the things that God would have us do, they just make you miserable. God's got a way of taking us all down a notch or two. He does. And when he does that, he wants you to be content with being miserable. You have to make a diamond. You don't make a diamond through good times. You make a diamond through a tremendous amount of pressure, don't you? And in the Christian life, you're going to be under pressure. You're going to be under the gun. And when you get under pressure, you're going to be tempted to act out of character. You're going to be tempted to attack uh, your brothers and sisters. And you're going to attempt to act out in a way that you don't normally do. Why? Pressure. Why? The Lord wants to know, are you content with where I got you? I remember the Lord was dealing with my heart about the pastorate. And uh, I, 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 don't know about, I, I knew I was called to preach for a number of years. And I'd pull that thing out on the Lord and say, come on, Lord, you called me to preach. Here I'm selling stinking ice cream cones. I pulled that on the Lord all the time. And finally got to the place where I just, one of those pivotal moments in my Christian life, I can look back through the eyes of the Holy Ghost now. And I remember having the conversation very vividly with the Lord. And I said this, all right, Lord, fine. <laughs> if you want me to sell ice cream for the rest of my life and never preach, I'll do it. You say, what happened? I don't know. Cleared the air. Felt better about it. I might have got a little bit of contentment. But I will tell you that within 30 days, the Lord put me over here. You say, do you think the Lord was, yeah, waiting for me to be content with not doing anything? You see, the Lord called me to preach. I knew I was called to preach. I could feel it in my guts. I mean, honestly, my life verse, I've always said is Jude 24, but it's really Jeremiah 20, verse 9. That one part says I couldn't forbear. That's a preacher's verse for you can't shut up because it's in your guts. And I knew it was there, and I knew it had to come out. And when, I would, when it wouldn't come out, I wasn't happy about it. And I believe the Lord just wanted to say, are you content with not being able to do the thing that you know that you're supposed to be doing? You say, what is that? Are you happy with demotion? Or can the Lord only promote you? 
That's biblical contentment. And that thing's, a, that thing's a heart issue. And it's hard to do. In a lot of places that the Lord will put you and the Lord will put me. Remember, we're talking about the will of God. First Thessalonians 4.3. We've got a lot to cover on this verse, and I hope we can get through it. But it's hard to do. In a lot of places that the Lord will put you, it's miserable. And, and, and the temptation is to orchestrate it, to fix it, to force it, to manipulate it, and always get what you want, but you've got to fight it. Why? Because you've got to learn contentment. And I'll, I'll be honest, you and I, we, des- we, deserve, we think we deserve more than we should. And we just keep trying to fix it, and we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to many times. And... Uh, We just keep trying to fix it and orchestrate it and do what we think God's called us to do. Well, what if the Lord called you to do it, but he don't want you to do it yet? See, contentment, if you're content as a Christian, you'll be content when you're miserable, and then the Lord can orchestrate that thing in his timing and his will and his place later. And if God truly has called you to do something, you know what? Then he truly will provide for it in his time. His time, and you won't have to orchestrate it, and you won't have to force it, and you won't have to. Well, you know, I really think the Lord wants me to do it, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. You know, and you know, it's better to ask uh, forgiveness than permission. It's dangerous, and that thing's a heart issue. And if you're searching for happiness uh, and those kinds of things in your life, if you're not content, you won't find it. And there'll always be something gnawing and nagging in the back of your heart. You have a great day in church and you'll come home and say, something won't be right. Why? You're not content. You're not happy with where God has you at this very moment. Are you right with the Lord? Yes, sir, I am. Are you trying to please the Lord? Yes, sir, I am. Then be content where God has you. Why you got to fight it? Why you got to force it? Say, who are you preaching at? Me! <laughs> and... Uh, What happens is if you're not content, when you get into a position of want, you will not find the will of God. You say, why? Well, because you're always trying to get what you want out of it. And your flesh is always self-preserving. Your flesh is always self-gratifying. And your flesh wants what it wants, and it wants to be exalted, and it wants to be lifted up, and you've got to be really careful about your flesh. You've got to fight it. You've got to remember that your flesh isn't sanctified. Last week we covered that. Your spirit's sanctified, Amen. Your flesh is not sanctified. So you've got to line up what the Spirit says and what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, and you'll be okay in that particular case. Now, let's move on from contentment. That whole thing about contentment, that thing's a whole nother gear. That thing will go for a month of Sundays on that thing. And I would just encourage you to ask the Lord tonight, am I content? Paul says, and be content with such things as you have. Easy verse to memorize. It just kind of flows. But man, that's one of the hardest ones to live. Because if you were to really ask yourself, are you content with where you're at? Most of us would say, no. Uh, I think if I could really get this taken care of, then I'd be happy. And if I could get this thing in my life, then I'd be happy. And if I could do this thing here, well, then I'd be happy. And you're miserable, and then you get to that place, and you're still not happy that you got it. Well, let's get you a couple more things about the will of God. First of all, in verse number 3, he says, abstain. From fornication. Know what he says? And you'll get word abstain, that's abstinence, right? And the definition of that word uh, abstain is uh, obviously, you know, that's a refraining, but more importantly, it's a voluntary refrainment and it denotes uh, an exercise of restraint to your own passions. Is that what that is? <laughs> that's old English for you got some self control. And that's what we don't teach this generation anymore. That's why your, your schools are a mess. Parents aren't teaching the kids self-control. You know, little kids can come in and do whatever the fire they want. Let me tell you what, when I was growing up, there's consequences. I didn't say, I'm perfect, you all know better than that. But I'll tell you what, make you, you don't mess around in church. Because if the old man caught you, you almost wish he's dead for a while. Why? No restraint. Say, so what is it? Uh, abstain. Cut it out. <laughs> in the Greek somewhere. <laughs> All right, so again, abstinence means abstain, that's abstinence, so forth and so on. And I want you to notice here that fornication, we touched on this last week, here is not incest, it's not adultery or homosexuality. You've got to realize that's a specific term. But the fornication here, it's not specific, it's general. So that just simply means it can cover a wide range of things. It can also be used in any type of sex perversion, but it can also be used in the general sense of any type of sin. It's a general sense. 
And because sin is turning against God, which is a sin of love, where you reject God and choose the idols of this world, and then you commit adultery with either the world or your flesh. And here in this passage right here, it's talking about sin in general. See, what are you saying? It's the will of God for you to not sin. You see that? It is the will of God for you to not sin. The will of God is to abstain from all sin. And that's what Paul's telling him. He's saying, look, he started in verse 1. You need to keep growing. You need to get better. You need to stop sinning. And most Christians have a very, very difficult time stopping sin. Stopping sin. And that's why I've said, uh, said earlier, you've got you've to get filled with as much preaching as your local church has to offer. I'll say it one more time. You need to get filled with as much preaching as your local church has to offer. If you're not faithful to your local church, then don't think God's going to just keep growing you through someone else's preaching. Now, I, you say, yeah, preacher, but you've got you know, recommendations. Yeah, it's just a recommendation. But you ought to be faithful to yours, amen, which you are. You're here tonight. Praise the Lord for that. You get faithful where God has you, and you get under as much preaching as your local church offers, as much Bible as you can possibly read. I've never met someone that's read too much Bible. They, you know, you've heard the saying, well, you know, if you, you, know, you read that Bible all the time, you'll be so heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. I never met somebody like that. I've never met someone so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. But you get under as much preaching as you can, as much Bible reading as you can, as much praying as you can possibly pray. You say, what will that do? Well, that will replace the negative with the positive. That's a good way to do it. You know, another one, the will of God, look at Galatians chapter 1. We touched on this uh, a week and a half ago, Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. We're just looking at what is the will of God? What is the will of God? Well, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. You see that? According to the will of God and our Father. All right, so it's the will of God for you to be delivered from this present evil world. You say, what does that mean? I got to live in it. I got to go to school. I got to go to work. I got to wake up to him. (laughs) You're going to deliver me from that? Well, one day, you know, if you're saved. But let's talk about being delivered from the world's ideas, being delivered from the world's methods, and delivered from the world's fashions. We covered the verse, uh, I think it was last Wednesday. Was it 1 Corinthians 7.31? We know about the fashion of this world. The Bible says in verse 31 that the fashion of this world passeth away. So if you're tied up in fashion, (laughs) you're tied up in something that's going to die. And that's why it keeps changing. And that's why now you you know you hear the whole uh, conversation piece. Well, what's in style now is in style 20 or 30 years ago. And well, it's bell bottoms and then skinny jeans and then baggy jeans and then no jeans or whatever, you know, all that stuff. Why? It's just going to pass away. It's going to pass away. Now, here at this point, uh, studying the will of God, I want to give you very quickly some things, and I've been meaning to get to this point. I want to give you some things real quickly about liberty. Liberty that we say that we have in Christ. You've heard the phrase. You've used it. You've read it in your Bible. But I'm going to give you some things about liberty that we say that we have in Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. All this stuff ties into the will of God. Will of God, you have to deal with contentment. You deal with the will of God, you have to deal with liberty. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And there's a lot of misconceptions in the Christian life about what we are, who we are, and what we have in relationship to liberty. Now, we do have liberty in Jesus Christ, amen? But if you're going to be sanctified, all right, if you're going to be sanctified, then your liberty will be, number one, to serve Jesus Christ. And number two, in regards to your liberty, your liberty has been given you to serve others. And, uh, yeah, you're last. Last but not least, uh, you know, we'll just put yourself. And that thing, met, that thing uh, equals right up to the acrostic of joy, doesn't it? Jesus, others, you. You want joy in the Christian life? Use your liberty the right way. Number one, to serve Jesus Christ. Number two, to serve others. And last but not least, you. You're last. That's true liberty. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 9. Bible says, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours come a stumbling block to them that are weak. 
All right, so at this point, you know what you have to do? You've got to consider the brethren, which Paul's going to talk to you about in the next few verses. You say, what does that mean? Well, you've got to start thinking about somebody else besides yourself. Amen? We doing all right tonight? I know these are slow pitches right across the middle. You should be knocking them right out of the park. Right? You've got to start thinking about somebody besides yourself. You know why that's difficult? Because every one of us in here have been raised in the generation in the world that says you're first. So you, you have to do something with the help of the Holy Spirit that goes contrary, con, uh, what is it, the cross-grain to how you were raised in this world. Now, you might have parents that raised you right. Amen. God bless you if you did. But you've still been brought up in this world, and this world says, me first. This world says, I'm important. You know, you only go around once. But what Paul's saying is like, look, you've got to start thinking about somebody else besides yourself. And you've got to consider the brethren. And uh, it's going to be difficult. Paul said that we are, we, this, we are the generation that are lovers of their own selves and all that go with that. And man, we embody that. We are in love with ourselves. Now, it's easy to turn on the professional sports if you've got the stomach for it. And you say, what a bunch of entitled brats. And you're right. And they love themselves, you know, and all the stuff that they do. They're the exception to the rule, right? And that's the generation. We are the generation that are lovers of our own selves. Look at verse 10, 1 Corinthians 8, 10. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge. You know what that means? As a Christian, you know better, Right? If any man see thee which has knowledge, you know better, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Verse 11, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. So because, listen now, Christian, you insist on having your liberty and are a selfish idiot, the weaker brother perishes spiritually. You see that? You insist on having your way. You insist on having your liberty. You spiritually hurt that brother. Look at verse 12. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So if you use your liberty, it becomes a stumbling block to other people. It is not only a sin against the brother's conscience. That's something he thinks of you. But that also means you're sinning against Jesus Christ. He's taking it personal. I mean, you sin not only against the brethren... When you insist that you have your own way, your liberty, because you know something. You see how this thing pertains to Bible believers? You know more Bible than the average Christian. And if you don't, you're not paying attention. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. And Christ takes that thing personal. But notice, look at verse 13. Paul doesn't pack up and leave. Paul doesn't uh, get up and go to the middle of Alaska somewhere and take a generator and a Coleman stove. You see what I mean? He doesn't do that. Look, what does he do? Look at verse 13. Rather, he says this, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul didn't quit. Paul didn't leave. He didn't say, I'm going to go do my own thing off in the woods somewhere. Y'all, y'all go ahead and be a bunch of stinking legalists. Help yourself. I don't care. I'm out of here. He didn't leave. He didn't quit. He just said, you know what? I'm not going to eat it. He, why? He cared more about that brother's condition than his own liberty. Paul cared more about the brethren than he did having his own way. Now, that's hard stuff. Because frankly, when it comes to some of this, you know, double separated baloney, I'd like to tell a couple of brethren where they could fly their kite, amen? Being honest with you. But Paul's like, look, if, if that brother's a weaker brother, I'm not going to have my way just because I know it doesn't affect me eternally. And you got to realize that freedom is a dangerous thing. It is. He cared, Paul cared more about that brother's condition than his own liberty. Paul cared more about his brother's condition than he did his own freedom. And you got to realize that freedom can lead to what? Rebellion. 1776, baby. And uh, now, now, how many years are we past 1776? Nobody can tell us what to do. There are signs in people's yard today that infuriate me. You know why? Because nobody can tell us what to do. You say, well, you just don't like the candidate. No, it has to do with vulgarity. It has to do with decency. It has to do with, do you even kiss your mother with that mouth? And you go put that in your yard? 
And the fact is, as Christians, we're no longer, we're no longer bothered like, ha, 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 oh, that's so funny. No, it's not funny. That's vulgar. That's wicked. That shows us who we are. But you got to be careful about freedom. And uh, because of freedom, uh, a lot of times, nobody can tell us anything. Nobody can tell you what to do. We're our own man, our own free bird. You know, and you hear this thing, and I hear, I hear it all the time. I've heard it in this church house before, and I'm not getting on anyone here. I've got liberty. I've got liberty. <laughs> Great, man. You know what? Give me liberty or give me death. There's really more options than that. You really want to go down that road? You want to be buried on that hill? Yeah. You've heard it. I've heard it. Look, I'm not looking to go back under some law or some legalistic thing. That's not what I'm saying. You've been around my preaching long enough to know I'm not a law dog. I'm all for you being able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ the way that he wants you to. Never been one to step in the way. But you don't just have absolute liberty to do whatever the fire you want. That's never what Paul intimated. That's never what he wrote. But you don't have liberty to do whatever you want. Actually, Paul's very careful to tell them, look, you're not under the Levitical law anymore, but you do have some things that govern what you are allowed to do so that you can please God. And our number one goal, as you know, is what? To please God. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 5 for a minute. We're still on this thing about liberty. We started talking about the will of God, and we shifted gears into contentment. Probably one of the most critical things in our life that we could probably just pray on that thing for about a year straight, and it would help us. But now we're moving into our liberties. And you got to realize if your actions are not pleasing to God, then you have misused your liberty along the way. All right, look at Galatians 5.9. Paul says here, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Ain't that true? I mean, it don't take much sin to mess everything right up. Your day could be clipping right along and you mess up or something. You sin, that whole thing just avalanches into a disaster. Look at verse 10. He says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise mine. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I'm confident that you won't think anything different that I've already told you about what I'm about to tell you. And he says, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. Now what you need to understand here, we covered this in Galatians, but there is a battle going on right now between two groups, and they're both wrong. In Galatians 5, you've got a battle between uh, uh, some legalists and some ultra-gracers. Between two groups, legalists and ultra-gracers. And just so you can be mindful, you know what a heretic is? <laughs> A heretic is uh, someone who's always trying to convince you that their way is right. If you know your way is right, don't you just live it? I'm not talking about parents raising your children. I'm, not ta- I'm talking about someone that's a stinking heretic, always trying to get in your business and try- always trying to insist that the way they do it's right. All right? And uh, these individuals are always trying to draw people away, and this is what Paul's getting at. Look at Acts chapter 29 for a second. It'll never change. And uh, this is a battle between some legalists and some ultra-gracers here. And what they're doing is they're trying to draw people away. Acts chapter 20, verse 29 to 30. Now, you've got to think about this thing. It's, it's never going to change. And you ought to mark it down. Whenever someone leaves a church, they will always try to pull people with them. They never leave on their own. They never leave quietly. And they'll go say, well, I didn't agree with this, and I didn't agree with that, and I didn't like what the preacher said here, and I didn't like what he said there, and I disagree with how he believes here, and they'll never go alone. But you need to understand that is how the devil works. And the reason they do that is not because they are right, but because they need to justify the actions of what they're doing. And look at Acts 20, verse 29. Paul says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own self shall men arise, of your own self, you see that? Just like Diotrephes in Third John, who loved the preeminence and didn't want John coming in, right? He says, also of your own self shall men arise, uh, speaking perverse things to what? To draw away disciples after them. They always do that, and that's what the devil wants. The devil's always trying to convince people that he is right, And what's going on back in both the groups in Galatians 5? 
uh, both the groups are walking in the flesh. And both of them think they're actually walking in the spirit. But they're both wrong. One group thinks this. Oh, they have all the liberty in the world, therefore they must be walking in the spirit. The other group thinks, well, since we're keeping the law, we must be walking in the spirit. But they're both wrong. Uh, the fact is, Paul shows that neither one of them is walking in the spirit because their heart motive on the whole entire thing is wrong. It's a heart issue. You say, why do you preach the way you preach on Sunday mornings? It's a heart issue. I preach at your heart. I don't go preach at your head. I preach at your head. All you need is a bigger hat size. And a lot of Bible believers, they know more Bible than Clarence Larkin and Schofield and all that stuff, but they can't even get through the church door because their cotton-picking head's so big. They know so much. No one can tell them anything. No one can preach to them. Most preachers aren't good enough for Bible believers. You've got to watch that thing. Why? Heart motive. And listen, if you're a legalist, that makes the cross of Christ what? None effect. You can't rely on legalism to make you think you're saved. And you don't go by the way you look on the outside to determine whether you're saved or not. I believe you all know that. But verse 13, Galatians 5, says, For brethren, now Paul's going to give the flip side of the coin, ye have been called unto liberty. But don't stop there. You see that? Only use not liberty for what? Occasion to the flesh. But by love, what's he say? Please yourself? <laughs> no, serve one another. That's what he says. By love, serve one another. So you know what Paul's doing? He's giving you the second part to the thing here. But by love, serve one another. The first one, number one, is Christ is first. And number two, you serve each other. And you're at the bottom. And that's how you get joy. And so this idea of Christian liberty, what you must learn is you do have liberty, but your liberty primarily is to serve Jesus Christ. So you have perfect liberty to go out and serve Jesus Christ. However, amen. And uh, <clears throat> you say, why? Well, because now that you're saved, Christ has cut you away from the things of your past that prevent you from serving him. Amen. And he's cut you away from what other people might say. Not only that, uh, even if they do say it, you can claim the blood of Jesus Christ, thank God for it, and move on and not worry about what they say anyways. Why? You're serving him. You're not serving them. You're not here to please man. You're here to please God. And he's given you the liberty to do it. But your liberty is absolutely not this crazy idea that you can go out and suck cigarettes and drink beer and fornicate and do whatever it is I want to do because I have liberty. Paul lays out specific bounds for your liberties. Now, people get nervous here. You know why we teach sound doctrine? Because they're good fences. And when you start removing the fences, like the churches around this county have, you know what they're doing? They've taken out all the fences. And when you get outside the fences, you get in trouble. And when you get outside all the fences, all the animals come in. All the beasts comes in. And, you know, the, the verse in Proverbs that's practically applicable is he that hath no rule over his own spirits like a city broken down and without. This is our wall. You put the walls up for protection. You don't put the walls up as a prison. All right, but Paul lays out specific bounds for your liberty. And he's very clear on what his commands are through the Pauline epistles. Very clear. We covered that earlier. But also he gives you some simple rules for living. You do understand that. Look at Romans chapter 12. I'll just give you one little sample here. Paul lays out the bounds. He lays out rules for living. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. But since so many Christians don't spend time in that book, they really have this cockeyed idea that their liberty is just to do whatever the cat hair they want, and it's okay. Okay, so you might not, you're not going to go to hell over the thing. But I should hate to be you at the judgment seat of Christ living like however you want to live. Look at Romans 12, 9. He starts off, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. I mean, this is really simple stuff, isn't it? It's just rules for living. Uh, and he's giving you this as a command. He's telling you some things that you and I should be doing. It's, it's, not, it's not like... You might consider it. He's like, in my preaching, a lot of times I say, would you consider this today? I want you to think about something. Paul's not telling you, I want you to think. He says, you should be doing this. This is a command. Uh, you're not supposed to be a hypocrite in your love towards somebody else. That's what he's saying. Don't be a hypocrite. Either love them or don't. You're supposed to what? Abhor that which is evil. And for the most part, think about things in this world. The television, for the most part. Not the exception. Television, for the most part, is what? 
evil. Amen. Evil, rotten, wicked, no good. <laughs> Beer is evil. The bars are evil. You, you get it? The music of this world is evil. And Paul says what? Abhor it. That's hate it. That's rough stuff, ain't it? Well, that's such a terrible word. You better believe it is. You ought to hate it. You know why we have trouble with sin? Because we don't hate the things we should. We're like, oh, you know, it's not too bad. I, I can handle it. No, you can't. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking who may be a devourer. And you ought to abhor that stuff. And uh, he says, cleave to that which is good. But look, you can't, you can't do that. You can't cleave to that which is good if you have liberty to go and love that which is bad. You see that? You can't cleave to that which is good if you have all this liberty just to go love what's bad. You see what I mean? And Christ uh, in our lives, He's supposed to have the preeminence in all things, isn't He? Christ is supposed to be with you. 1 Corinthians 2.15, the Bible says, He that is spiritual judgeth all things. And what is it, 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And think about it, if the Spirit of the Lord is with you, you're going to tell me you're going to sit down in the Spirit of the Lord and look at something that you ought not to be looking at? You're not going to do it. Are you going to sit down and drink something you shouldn't? Are you going to make up your mind to go somewhere that you know you shouldn't be? That's not the Spirit of the Lord. You say, well, what is that? That's the Spirit of your flesh. You listen to the wrong one. Look at verse 10, Romans 12, 10. He says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. That's rules for living. Say, what is that? I should prefer my brothers and sisters in Christ over me. Oh, I don't like that. Not at all. But that's a command. That's rules for living. He said, even when I get up first thing in the morning, probably even more so. Because when you wake up in the morning, you ain't no saint, even though your spirit is saved. <laughs> your flesh is just a devil. Look at 11. Not slothful in business. Amen? Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Every Christian should be doing those things. You serve the Lord? Not too hard, is it? That's what Paul says you and I should, those rules for living. Look what he says in 12. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer, 13, distributing the necessity of, the saint, of saints, given to hospitality. 14, bless them which persecute you. Man, that's a hard one. If you persecute me, I'm putting my sights on you. I know none of you all think that way. It just came out, right? Man, you are a tough crowd tonight. <laughs> bless them which persecute you. Bless and... My goodness, curse not. Doesn't look like you got liberty to, you see what I mean? Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. You really get happy when your brothers and sisters tell you about a blessing? Oh man, God was so good to me that day. He blessed me and he gave me a raise. And you're going, I ain't got no raise. <laughs> My property tax went up, stinking governor. <laughs> right? That's what you're thinking. And uh, look at uh, 16, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things. You know, be careful, you don't get caught up in that high stuff. I talk about like 420, but you know what I mean, high things. Like you're, like you're important and all that stuff. Mind not high things. I know, Michigan and Colorado, the high state. More pot billboards than any other 48 states combined. But condescend to men of low estate. You do that? You condescend to men of low estate? You ever stop and think about that Ethiopian eunuch? You know what he was. He was an Ethiopian. You know what that means, don't you? That fellow was black. If God told you to jump up in the chair with a black man, would you do it? A bunch of liars. <laughs> you let them Jews think pretty highly of themselves. You realize that, don't you? Now, they wouldn't even associate with Samaritans, let alone Hamites. You see what I mean? Oh, Philip filled with the Spirit of God. That's why God used him. That's why God was able to take that uh, evangelist Philip and lead that Ethiopian eunuch, and he went back to Candace, the queen, Ethiopia, and that place was a Christian nation until 1975 when Halle Solosi was assassinated. And that place has been in eternal famine ever since. Why? One Jew condescended to men of low estate. You see that? Be not wise in your own conceits. How about 17? Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. 
How about 18? If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, do not like this verse. Live peaceably with all men. You know what that says in the original Greek? Live peaceably with all men. <laughs> as much as lieth within you. Usually, you know, you, you know what you do? You give them, a, well, I'll give you one shot. If you blow it, you're done. If you're feeling super gracious, you'll give them two shots. Jesus Christ said if your brother uh, offends you 70 times 70, you forgive him if he repents. <laughs> now, all through here, he's giving you some commands, some boundaries. We're talking about your liberty in Jesus Christ. You can't go out of here with this idea you've got liberty to do whatever you want to do. That's not how it works in the Bible. You're not under the Levitical law. Thank God for that. But you don't have the liberty to go please your flesh either. All right. He's giving you commands. He's giving you boundaries. He's giving you fences right here. What you can do in the flesh. And the idea that I just have liberty and I can do whatever I want is not true. That's why he says in the passage, come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. He says this, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's your purity. That's your separation. That's your holiness towards God. That you should abstain from fornication. You see that? And uh, Galatians 1.4, like we said earlier, one of the wills of God is for you to be delivered from this present evil world. Let me give you another one. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. You're in the book there. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, what's the will of God for my life? Well, it's to abstain uh, from all sin and abstain from fornication. It's uh, to be uh, delivered from this present evil world. How about this one? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says... In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, it's a little easier to thank God for blessings, isn't it? When you've been praying something, it's easier, it's easier per se to thank God when He lays it on you. When you're praying something specifically, or a financial blessing, or a family blessing, or a health blessing, man, it's easier. But I'll tell you what, when things go south and the whole just goes right off the rails, one of the first things we do not do is get down here and say, Lord, I just want to say thank you for this messed up day. Thank you, Lord, for this messed up marriage. Thank you, Lord, that everyone has taken this wrong. And I'm the only one that's, you see what I mean? <laughs> he says, and everything give thanks. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I got that thing under wraps, but he says, in everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus Concerning you. How about this one? First Peter chapter 2. Give you a couple more. Be done here. First Peter chapter 2, 13 to 15. You know what Paul says is the will of God? Over there in First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. It's the will of God for you to obey kings and governors and magistrates. It's the will of God for you to do what they tell you to do. Well, you know, preacher, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, if they tell me I can't go to church, uh, well, I'm not going to listen. Well, go to jail then. Go to jail. They tell me not to go to church. I ain't going to go. They tell me to preach. I'll go to jail because I'm going to preach. Now, if they shut this door, then I'll have to preach somewhere else. You see what I mean? You had this thing, Corona, Bologna, whatever it is, that killed a bunch of people, and it's real as the day is long. But you had a bunch of Bible-believing brethren. They got all ants in their pants and decided they're going to go against the government and all that stuff. Well, that's just stupid, man. Why would you go against the government? God made government. Well, preacher, actually what it is, it's a difference of opinion. No, it's not. You obey the magistrates. You obey the king. You obey the governor. They didn't say we couldn't pray. They didn't say we couldn't preach. As a matter of fact, the governor that everyone in here hates, she put this little clause and everyone says, oh, by the way, if you're a house of worship, you can still get together. But get a Bible-believing brethren, just blah, 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 against the government, go against the government, oh, whatever. You know what it is? Rebellion. That's all that freedom went right to your stinking head is what it was. You're going to win people during a pandemic when you won't even obey the governor? Help yourself, man. Tell me about all the soul-winning efforts during corona. <laughs> Wasn't there. How about this one, 2 Peter 3.9. This is for all the Christians who don't want to win any souls. Here's the will of God. You know what Peter says? 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not, what? Willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if He's not willing for it, the will of God is for you to, what? Get out there and tell them how to be saved. You see it? It's right there in the passage. He's not willing that any should perish. Ezekiel says he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And if you're not careful, you'll tell people about hell. Uh, people are going to hell like you're the guy running the joint. You can't do that either. 
but he's not willing for any should perish. So the will of God is for you to get out there and tell them how to be saved. So Romans 10, 14 says, how shall they hear without a preacher? So you're going to have to preach that stuff, aren't you? It's not talking about just a pastor behind a pulpit and preaching or teaching. Everyone preaches. You gals in here preach. Every time you tell someone about Jesus Christ, you're preaching. Now, you're not a pastor. You're not a, you're not a Mrs. Myers. Amen. But you can be a preacher. All right, you should be preaching those things. You ought to be winning souls and helping people. Now, now let's turn this thing around. The only reason you wouldn't, the only reason you wouldn't would be as if your heart wasn't right. You see that? Well, you know, I have, uh, I have some disability. I'm not talking about your disabilities. Well, I'm kind of shy. Well, that's not what Facebook says. I'm not really good talking to people. Some of you are really good at talking to people. I always thought that I was good at talking to people. I really did until I got into my 40s. Then I realized I don't like people. <laughs> it was just a big cover-up. <laughs> That's funny, by the way. But if you don't do that stuff, it just means your heart isn't right. If you have no burden for the loss, no concern about their soul burning forever in eternal hell, your heart's not right. It's a heart issue. You see? Going back to the heart. And then, uh, then your heart's uh, wrong on that thing. And some people say, well, I want, to be, uh, I want to be whatever it is I want to be, and I think the Lord will have me to be this, or I think the Lord will have me to be that. Okay, well, then get, the, get your heart right, and then he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's how that works. And you've got to remember that your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And you've got to be careful because your heart's ready to deceive you. And what the devil wants more than anything else, and regarding the will of God, is he wants to get you one centimeter ahead of what God's will is for your life. If you get one centimeter ahead of the will of God for your life, then he takes all the power that you could have had, and he just zaps it from you, because you're one step in front. And that's all the devil wants to do. And uh, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. This will be the last one. Ephesians chapter 5. Talk about the will of God. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. All right, so consider this. Your home, your personal relationships, and your submission to God in all matters is the will of God. I'll say it again. Your home, your personal relationships, and your submission to God in all matters is the will of God. And Christians will say, I'm submitting, I'm submitting to the Lord. But a lot of Christians won't give up their pet likes. You see that? You've got to be careful about that. A lot of Christians won't give up their pet likes for other Christians. Why? i got liberty. I can do whatever I want. I've been called unto liberty. Called unto liberty. You're just not called to be an idiot, Amen. And if you're really submitted to the Lord, then you're going to learn to submit to others. Now look at verse 21. Here's where it gets sticky. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. You see that? That doesn't mean someone's giving you orders all day long. That means you ought to be concerned about what other people are thinking. How many, how many of you in here have heard Bible-believing preachers say, I don't give a rip what anybody thinks about me? I've heard that for years. That's not right. That's not the right attitude. You ought to care what people think about you. It doesn't mean you're obsessed with it. But you should be concerned with what other people think about you if, in fact, that you're messing with their conscience the wrong way. And what other people consider about you to the fact that just simply means that they're watching you. Paul said we're an epistle known and read of all men. It's just not a free-for-all. And uh, you can't just do whatever you want, whether they like it or not. That's not the right attitude. That's not a godly attitude. You've got to rein that thing in. And we've spent a good deal of time preaching on that. But you need to get a hold of that. Look at verse 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 and we're done. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4. Paul says here, he says, 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now look, we looked at this in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. There's some things that you and I are going to have to learn. and We're done here. We have to learn how to purge those things of our own life to be the right type of vessel, amen, and get the power of God. But uh, you and I should know how to possess our vessel. That's the outward side. We should know how to possess it. We should know how to restrain it, amen. You should know how to control it. 
and what is on the outside should line up with what's on the inside. You know what's on the inside, don't you? So the outside should line up with it. And uh, you don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the devil. And, of course, that's Romans chapter 6. So we'll stop there at verse 4. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And every Christian ought to know how to restrain it. Every Christian should know how to control it. Every Christian should know how to possess it. All right. Why don't you stand? And there's a ton in those couple verses there. We get past that, we'll move pretty quick. Man, verses 1 through 4, it's just, just a month of Sundays on that stuff. Brother Dave, would you pray us home, man?